0: Welcome. Thanks for being here. It was nice tonight. I got a different perspective. Usually I'm standing in that back corner playing keys and you've got in ears so you're only hearing certain things. First of all, you guys did an amazing job. Thank you. Second of all, though, we're about six years in as a church. And because of I guess the type of people maybe we attract as a church and because we 're a lot of new believers in this church, it used to be when you were out there i didn 't hear a lot of singing, maybe people were singing i didn 't hear a lot, but it was a different experience tonight it 's like the congregation was in it too, and singing, and so I got to be a part of the choir out there. so thank you for that tonight as well. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and his church. As if this is your first time here, welcome. We are glad you were here. I would love Love to meet you after the service. We also have a gift for you out in the lobby. There is a card in the back of the chair in front of you. Just fill it out, drop it in that box. We promise not to bother you. We will add you to our email list. That's about it. Speaking of our email list, next slide. Um, you should be getting an email once a week from me now as a church. I'm just trying to communicate our announcements without wasting a bunch of time here on Saturday nights doing that. And so if you did not get an email this week or last week, all you got to do is text that number right there. Right now, you can do it. You can pull out your phone right here in church, text that number that's on the screen, um, and we will make sure we get you on that email list one time a week. We don't blow you up. We don't spam you. It's just once a week, just some quick information about what's happening at the church. And I'm going to leave that. I put a little scroller so, we're gonna to go to the next slide, but the number will continue to be on the screen if you wanna text us. I wanna mention our Hurricane Ian Relief Fund. That is available if you need assistance from Hurricane Ian. You've had some financial distress from the storm. Um, we have up to a $1,000 per person available for that still. If you know someone, a friend, a family member, a coworker that is in need of money to help with repairs, maybe to help with living expenses, that fund is available to them outside of this church as well. Just be sure they mention that they are connected to you so we know that there is some sort of connection there. So we have about $14,000 donated to that fund. I think we've given out about 5000 of that to date, so we still have funds available. Um, but I'm glad that we still have funds available because Hurricane Recovery is a marathon, not a sprint. And so we We want to have some funds available for the long term. One more. You should have gotten an email this week at some point in time. If you give to our church... Uh, Just with your giving statement for your taxes. One of the last great tax write-offs, if you give your money away, you don't have to pay taxes on it. So uh, you should have got a statement that said how much you gave to the church. If you did not receive that, um, you can ask me after the church, and I can write your name down and make sure that gets to you. Or you can simply send an email to bookkeeper at refuge.church. That's bookkeeper at refuge.church book, 2 case Keeper at refuge.church. Okay, my name is Brian Coberson. I am one of the pastors here at the church, and we've been talking about hurry and slowing down, and in our first week, we defined our condition that we have. It's hurry sickness, something that we're all kind of privy to, hurry sickness, and we defined it this way, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time, and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does it sound like anybody's life here? Mine, it does. We look at the life of Jesus. That's what we're doing in this series. And we look at his life, it is filled with compassion and it's filled with kindness. And when he's with people, he's always present in the moment with them. He's empathetic and peace just describes who Jesus is. That's when we look at the life of Jesus. Us, when we look at our lives with hurry sickness, we're irritable, we're rushed, we're with people, but we're kind of somewhere else and we're thinking about something else and we're not present in the moment and we feel this restlessness. And a lot of us tend to be a little hypersensitive as well. That are all conditions and symptoms of our hurry sickness. And so in this series, we've been looking at the unhurried way of Jesus. In other words, we've been looking at not only his life, but his lifestyle, the way that Jesus lived his life. And our verse of the series is Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. It says, then Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden I give you is light. Have a confession I'm not supposed to be preaching tonight. David um, Thomas was going to be preaching tonight up until about 11 o'clock this morning. Um, He's got a—they got four dogs. Uh, His oldest is a boxer named Coop, and Coop has been battling cancer. And so David, I found out, was up all night with Coop and um, just dealing with that. This is probably their final weekend together. And David and I are a family, just like all of us here. We're brothers— And so we're going to lean on each other a little bit tonight. And so I'm allowing David to lean on me. I offered to take his spot and it took a little convincing, but he's like, yeah, I think that would be good. I was up all night. I had COVID two weeks ago. um, And he's the only other crazy person that has more dogs than we do in their household. (laughs) And so I do consider him a close brother. And so I took his spot tonight. So I start working on the sermon at about noon today, and before you get too worried, uh, my typical process goes like this. I'm, it's a slow process. I'm a slow sermon writer. And so if you're ever thinking about getting into the preaching industry, <laughs> can we call it an industry business? I, don't, I have a day job, too. That is an industry. But if you're ever thinking you might want to come do this, here's, here's my process so you can learn from it. Generally, it goes like this. After I finish preaching here on a Saturday night, Sunday, the next day, I wake up in the morning, I begin reading scripture for the next week. Whatever thing we're going to be teaching or section of scripture, I begin to read that scripture on Sunday, and I begin to pray over the message. God, give me the words to speak. On Monday, I usually listen to another preacher or podcast, something related to the topic or the section of scripture we're going to teach, and I continue to pray. On Tuesday, I'll start reading some books and articles and commentaries. And most of you who know me on Wednesday... Don't bother me. Wednesday is sermon writing day. I stay home from work. I write my sermons on Wednesday. I call it drunk day, not because I'm drinking, but um, when I write, I just spill it all out on a piece of paper without thinking a whole lot. I'm wordy, if you can't tell. So I end up with about ten thousand words. I only need three thousand words, and so on Thursday it is sober editing, going back through the sermon and bringing it down to a decent amount of words that I can preach it. On Friday I put some slides together. I come out here and usually put them in at the church, continue to delete more of my sermon because it's still too long. And by Saturday, I review it a couple more times and I come here and preach it. Today, I started at noon, <laughs> that process. Fastest sermon I've ever written, stared at the clock the entire time because I knew I had like three or four hours, but I knew David was struggling this week and I knew he was a trooper and he would have came and did it anyway. But I knew he was struggling, so I told him to save what he wrote for this week, and he'll preach it next week, and just said, I got you. And so next week, David will be preaching. If you read the homework for this week, he'll be preaching on simplicity. That is one of the ways of Jesus. But tonight, we're going to talk about being a slow church, an unhurried church, Even though I've written this sermon in the fastest method that I've ever... I, I get the irony in that. But it's okay is this particular topic, this slowing down, this unhurried way is very near and dear to my heart. In the six years that I've been a pastor at this church, outside of God's grace, I've preached more on rest and slowing down than anything else. And there's two reasons for that. One is it is a constant struggle for me and I have to deal with it. And mostly when I preach, I preach to myself. and I hope you guys get something out of it. Number two, though, it is the foundation of one of our identities as a church. Two years ago, I preached an eight week series. It's called Refuge Basics. And basically, for eight weeks, I said, Hey, if you want to decide if you want to be a member of this church, here's kind of our core principles. We are a church of misfits. We are a small church, and we believe in the smallness and the beauty of smallness. We are an organic church. We are a deep church. We are a committed church. And we are a restful church. And we are a slow church. What does it mean to be a slow church? It's a church modeled after the unhurried way of Jesus. I have a second confession. I've been sick this entire week. You could probably still hear some of the nasalness. And it's not COVID, I promise. Two tests, all clear, so no COVID. And I'm clear, and I'm over, and I've had it for long enough. But what happens when you are sick? You don't have a lot of close contact with other people. And so when you don't have any close contact, it starts to feel a lot like isolation, and starts to feel like loneliness. And man, I missed all the good, deep conversations. It was lonely and isolated this week. And on top of that, not only did I feel isolated, my family avoided me because I had a sickness. They didn't want to catch it. Karen slept in my oldest daughter's room because she's away in college. One of our dogs, Ivy, she played musical beds all night, so she couldn't decide who she wanted to sleep with, so it was back and forth between the two beds. Last week, if you were here, I preached on silence and solitude. And so solitude is when you are alone, kind of like I was this week. But solitude is not isolation because when you are in solitude, you are not really alone. Yes, you're away from the distractions and you're away from other people, but you get to be more present with God than you've ever been before and more present with your own soul. And I say all that to say hurry sickness tends to want to isolate us, just like my sickness did this week. It wants to isolate us from God. It wants to detach us from our own souls. It wants to disengage us from people. And then it creates the symptoms like irritability and hypersensitivity and unable to be present. And people start, then what? They start avoiding us. Because that's not a fun person to be around. And we end up in this never-ending loop. Well, the unhurried way of Jesus was solitude, but never isolation. Solitude, setting time aside to feed and to water and to nourish our soil. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the latter. And so let's go back to this concept of being a slow church, a place where we can provide nourishment and feed our own souls so that we can be fertile soil for others to do likewise. But in our culture, the word slow is it's a pejorative. Maybe you thought this tonight. I said, we're a slow church. And you're like, that's right, we are. There are not a lot of bright people up in here. <laughs> Someone has a low IQ. That's what we say, right? They're a little slow. And When the service is bad at a restaurant, what do we say? It's slow. The movie is boring. What do we say? It's slow. And so our culture, the message is clear. Fast is good. Slow is bad, but in the upside-down kingdom of God, that value is turned on its head. Jesus teaches hurry is of the devil, and slowness is of Jesus. God is love. That's what the Bible teaches. It also teaches that Jesus is love incarnate is God on earth. And so when we look at Jesus, when we look at his way, he is living and breathing love. And I've said multiple times already in this series, you can't hurry love. You can't rush through joy. You can't speed through peace. You can't hurry patience. You can't hurry kindness. You can't hurry gentleness. There is a time and place for hurry. You call 911 You're not looking for somebody to be slow, right? Robert, you're a firefighter. When they called 911, you were in a hurry to get to the fire. That's a good thing. My nephew was visiting. He's a little toddler like Trip a few weeks ago, and he's at our house, and he's getting ready to come down the stairs like a little kid does. I got out of my chair in a hurry and moved and grabbed him. And my kids are like, Dad, I didn't know you could move that fast. It's okay. There's a place and a time to be in a hurry. But there is very little that can't be done in a hurry that can't be done better without being in a hurry. Especially with our lives and God and especially in our work for God in his church. So before we get to slow church and what that really means to us, let's talk about the slow Bible, because that's what leads us to the slow church. And so let me just show you how slow the pace of the Bible is. The Bible starts Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Two chapters we get on the creation of the universe and earth, and humanity, and all the animals. Two chapters we get on billions of years. That's the pace of God. In the beginning, God was incredibly slow. That's where the story starts. Then we get to the fall, one chapter, Genesis chapter 3. God's meticulous creation that he slowly created is corrupted in an instant, Because of an impetuous, fast decision, and everything changes, humanity falls, but to the end of that chapter, God promises to fix it. So we say in the church, he promises to redeem creation, but he's going to do it slowly. The rest of the Old Testament is the story of Israel, and it's right back to the soap opera, that slow-moving story, thousands of years Jacob and Esau, Lot and his daughters, all these fallen heroes throughout the story. And we see that hurry sickness, the isolation, the loneliness, the emotional numbness, the out of whack priorities, the lack of care for self and others, the distancing from God, the isolation. And yet woven within this story of brokenness, we see the unhurried way of Jesus peeking through. And a few people along the way are actually in tune with that way. David in Psalm 103 writes The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And then the Old Testament ends sudden, hurried, broken world. The people are still there. They're without hope, they're without light. It's dark. But God's not in a hurry still. He has a plan, and it's not going to be rushed. But eventually, we get to the New Testament. We get to that redemption. God reveals his plan, and it's not some quick fix. It's a plan that he's been working out since eternity in reverse. The way, the truth, the life, Jesus. The long-awaited real hero of the story comes Born to a virgin, lives the perfect, unhurried life, speaks the truth, but always in love and compassion. And then he dies the perfect death to bring about the life. And the same slow Bible that's been telling this story also says those who believe this message in their hearts and confess with their mouths will be saved. But that slow story still isn't over The final chapter has been written for the last 2,000 years. God's pace hasn't sped up one bit. The only thing that's changed now is I am a part of that story, and you are a part of that story, and God is still patiently with us, using now us to share his easy yoke and unhurried rhythms of grace to a hurried world out there. That's the slow Bible. Now, I love to travel. If you know me, uh, you know, every summer I go to Hawaii and just traveling is, is, I mean, who doesn't love to travel? I say that like I'm unique in that sense, right? But one of the things I hate most about traveling, besides airplanes, are the tourists. And the irony's not wasted on me that I am a tourist when I'm on vacation, but I hate the tourists because the tourists, what do they do, man? They want to see as much as they can as fast as they can. Every time we're in Hawaii, we've been many times now, but there's a beautiful waterfall. And you want to take your time and see it. But what do the tourists do? They show up, drive up in their minivan that they rented, they get out of it, they take a selfie, they take a picture, they get the t shirt off. What's next? They're in such a hurry. And they don't stand there and just stand in awe of the beauty for hours and hours and just see all of God's creation coming and going. They're in a hurry. Why are tourists in such a hurry? Have you ever thought about that? They want to see it all. They want to do it all. They're so scared that they might miss something that they actually do miss something. And the problem is it's easy to become a tourist to our own lives. We try to go as fast as we can, try to do the next thing, try to do it all, try to see it all. And in the process, we end up missing it all. Or it's easy to become a tourist in the church. We show up. We see the show. We sing the songs. We say the prayer. We get the t-shirt. But there's no lingering. There's no slow, long-term investment. It's just a quick pit stop with a snap photo, grabbing some quick fast food Jesus before we head back out to the rat race of life. What's the logic in that? Church culture has picked up on this. And this is just Brian's humble opinion. But for many, many years, I've seen the church turning away from being a slow church and more into being tourist traps, trying to dispense all of our religious goods as fast as we can. And again, there's some logic to it because we know you have hurry sickness. This is a Twitter culture and you don't have any more attention than a goldfish like we talked about last week. And so the churches are simply trying to cater to the situation. But I got a better idea. Instead of catering to the situation, why don't we as a church change the situation? We slow down and become a slow church. Any documentary fans in the room? One of the more popular ones is uh, Morgan Spurlock's Super Size Me. Anybody seen that? Show of hands. Yeah, a lot of people. It's pretty good. Kind of made his career. He's not, <laughs> he keeps trying to do things since then. They've not been near as good. But it's this documentary on the destructive nature of fast food. And of course, you know, with the colors in the picture there, you know what restaurant he's focusing on, right? McDonald's. You ask the average American, "Do you like McDonald's?" "Oh no, that's so disgusting. Who eats that crap?" It's on every corner, so everybody is lying. We all love McDonald's. Why? Because it's convenient. It's predictable. It's efficient. But what happens when we consume too much fast food? The documentary shows it's incredibly damaging to our health. We become sick. We become lethargic. And worst yet, we develop a taste for fast food, and we stop craving the good stuff that is actually good for our health. Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joy of those who take refuge in him. And so follow me here. If the church is the body of Christ and we are to taste and see that the Lord, if we are to taste and see that Christ is good, then the church is not, or then is the church not the place where the saved Are able to savor the goodness of God. Then is the church not the place where lost, hurried souls should be able to show up and get their first bite of that goodness? Or could a slow church be a place where we find and take, what's that word, refuge? Our name. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching. It's the Sermon on the Mount, he's kind of giving these these bylaws for the upside-down kingdom of God. And he says this, you are the salt of the earth. Now, if you've eaten McDonald's, you know they use a lot of salt. So much salt in fact that all we're really tasting most of the time is the salt. Who can actually tell me what a French fry tastes like? It tastes like salt. And some of you, that's not good enough. You put that nasty ketchup stuff on it, but that's another sermon for another time. Salt isn't meant to be the main course. It's not meant to be the only thing you taste. Salt is meant to enhance flavor. But many of us haven't been eating salty food for so long that we've forgotten what food tastes like. And some of us in the church have eaten fast food church for so long we've forgotten what God himself actually tastes like. We've tasted the contemporary worship, and it's emotional, but have we seen God? We've tasted the pastor's jokes and his great ability to tell a great story, but have we tasted and seen the goodness of God in his own written word? I mean, we've all seen the busyness that churches tend to create, and we've tasted that, but have we actually tasted God Or did we just taste the salt? See, as a church, we should want to enhance God, to bring out the fullness of his flavor, not cover him up with our own taste of salt. We've been saying through this series that we're trying to slow down to improve our spiritual lives. And we defined our spiritual lives really simply. Our spiritual life is the first and greatest commandment to love God and to love others. Again, I'll repeat, you can't hurry love, you can't hurry compassion, you can't hurry commitment, you can't hurry empathy, you can't hurry all the things that we desire to be as a church. All those things, commitment, empathy, compassion, they are slow in their growth, they are sacrificial, they are time-consuming. The story of the Bible is the story of God, and it's a slow-burn story. We are a people made in the image of God, which means we are designed to be slow, which means that the church made up of the safe people who were made in his image was designed to be slow. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, it's one of my favorites. It says, whatever you have done to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done unto me. Think about this. If Jesus was in your church or in your neighborhood or in your workplace, because that's who you're serving when you're loving other people. So if Jesus were in those places and you had a chance to serve him, would you hurry through serving Jesus? Would you try to cut out all the mess and the inconvenient parts in the process? When you were with Jesus serving, would you have FOMO to get back to your phone or your social media? If you were with Jesus, would you not slow down, take all the time that was needed, and enjoy every single moment you got to spend in the presence of the Lord? That's slow church. I did have to hurry this afternoon. I had a couple hours to write a message, and I take teaching very seriously. I take the pulpit in this position very seriously. But God had blessed me to be able to do this. Had my day this day been filled to the brim, if I had had a hundred other things to do, if I had a bunch of distractions in my head, a bunch of noise, no way I could have written a... It takes me usually 10 to 15 hours. No way I could boil that down to two hours. It wouldn't have been possible. But guess what? I've been sick all week. No noise in my life this week. A lot of solitude, a lot of silence, a lot of praying. I had to learn this week to say no. And as Karen said on the way here, it's amazing when you say no to the things that don't matter, how you can say yes to the things that do matter. You should probably write that down. That's gold right there. See, had I been so hurried and distracted, I would not have enough time for prayer and reading and study and reflecting. I've been very honest in this series. I do have a problem. I have hurry sickness. It is a constant struggle in my life, and I'm learning to deal with it. It's why I'm passionate about this topic. But the fact that I just so happened to be sick, I had no choice but to deschedule and to slow down and to spend time in silence and solitude. And it was because of my lack at hurry that in this instance, when I had a brother in need, the least of these Jesus, I was able to hurry now to help him because my life wasn't full of so much other stuff. And I was able to do that today without a sense of dread, to be thankful for this opportunity to speak tonight and to help David carry a burden. To live out what I've been preaching in this series and to be a slow church. And I got to taste and see the goodness of God at work. There are a lot of things in southwest Florida we can boast about. Our beaches, our beautiful weather most of the time, this time of year, a little chilly today. My favorite, no state income tax. (laughs) One of the things we cannot boast about in Florida are our lawns. They're the worst lawns ever. Now, that picture doesn't look like it. I know we have all these beautiful golf courses and immaculate gated communities with all this beautiful uh, lawn, but it's our soil. And I say soil in a very loose definition because we don't even have soil here. We have this sandy, nasty stuff. And it lacks any nutrients. It doesn't drain well. The only thing that our soil loves is bugs and fungus, it seems, And so how in southwest Florida, in the world, do we get beautiful lawns like this? I know some of you got gorgeous lawns. You're out there with your scissors cutting and trimming the things. How do we get those beautiful lawns in southwest Florida? Well, we start with a little fertilizer to keep it green. And we dump that crap on top of our lawns. Just green it right up. Then we got to bring in the herbicide because we got to keep the weeds out of the lawn or they'll take over quickly here in Florida. And then we got the fungicide to deal with, well, the fungus. And then you got the pesticide so we can keep the parasites away. And what we got to do this time of year, you got to irrigate it because it doesn't rain and we keep it green and beautiful. I mean, if you spend enough money and you put on enough chemicals, you can have a beautiful, fast growing lawn even right here in the swamp. (laughs) But it's fake. It's not natural. Even the grasses that we grow here, with names like Floritam and Zoysia and St. Augustine, all that stuff was cooked up at the University of Florida. It's all fake genetically engineered grass. And what happens the minute you stop all the chemicals and all the watering? The weeds take over, the lawn quickly browns, and it withers. We could be a fast church. The formula, it's pretty simple. If you want to be beautiful and green and growing, dump on the fertilizer. I mean, you got to have a modern, beautiful stage design and a tightly scripted worship set and a heartwarming message with five simple steps to better happiness. And we need to pour on the herbicides, you know, fill up our members' calendars with so much programming that the weeds can't creep in. Yeah, we got to deal with the fungus among us. Got to scrub our churches clean so that everyone's smiling. Pastor gets up every week, how excited he is to be there. I don't know why pastors are always so stinking excited, but they're excited to be there. Scrub out all the fungus, all the warts and all the blemishes. And then lastly, we got to get rid of the pests. You know, those people who got asked too many questions that don't have easy answers those people who don't check all the boxes on the accepted Christian list. See, McDonald's has worked out a proven fast food formula. And when they did that, they franchised it so it could spread. The American church has been moving towards an efficient, franchised fast food formula. It's efficient, it's predictable, and if you dump enough fertilizer and enough pesticide on it, You're guaranteed to see growth. It really is that simple. But what's the cost? How sustainable is the process? What about the runoff from all that fertilizer and pesticides? We know what happens here to our waters. And then what happens when all the fertilizing and the fast fixes for the church stop? We know a little bit what happens now because we saw it during COVID or after COVID, I should say, 30 or 40% of the people, the attenders, they never came back because the fertilizing and the herbicides wasn't enough to keep up. We end with a parable, Matthew 13. Parable of the sower goes like this, verse 3, a sower went out to sow and he sowed some and he sowed some weeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Too often in the church, we see the soil as just a convenient way to prop up the plant, while we try to sustain those plants from the top down, the fertilizers, the fungicides. And when those methods stop working, we just keep adding more, more complexity, stronger fertilizers, faster acting herbicides. It's the top down approach. That's not how nature does it. It feeds the plant from the soil, from the bottom up. It's a slow process building good soil, whether that's in your garden or your personal lives or us here collectively as a church. We live in the fastest culture in human history. And you know why that's good news? Because it puts the church in the perfect position to be counter cultural to slow down, to become soil where roots can plant and grow deep. Now, Dominic's in the plants in the back, and he knows every time you transplant a plant, it damages the roots. And so as a church, we have to understand, as people are being transplanted into this church, we got to be gentle with each other. As we take people out of the fast world and transplant them in the slow church so that they can take root and grow in the slow God. And you can't do that when you're in a hurry. You can't do that when you're too busy. And we certainly do not need to pour on a bunch of salt. You ever seen the silliness in that? Greeting team is out front and they say, What brings you here tonight? And the person coming in says, oh, man, I came here because of your name, refuge. Man, I am running and running. It feels like I'm on this treadmill. I'm exhausted. I need refuge. And so we say, okay, great. You've come to the right place. We're here every Saturday night. There's teaching and worship. You also probably should be listening to our podcast because they're out there. And have you heard of a small group? Maybe you want to join two of them since you're new to get to know some people. And we have a Bible study on Thursday. It's the Fast Track to Success. You play the piano, great. You need to be on our worship team. We have rehearsals on Saturday at 3 p.m. How old is little Johnny here? Oh, he's not so little. He's in the youth group, great. On Wednesday night, we've got youth group. And have you ever been to a leadership conference? And we got a service event coming up on Sanibel because we need to help those people out there. And by the way, You'll need to start talking to more people now about Jesus. And you need to be sure that everyone knows that you're now on team Jesus. And, oh, you're going to want to start having lots of people over to your house and lots of meals on your home because Jesus had meals. And be sure your house is clean and you cook and you show hospitality and show them your Photoshopped life. And I just want to say as we close tonight, if I've ever done that to you or came off that way, I am sorry. If our church has ever made anyone in this room feel that way, We are sorry because the way of Jesus is unhurried. It's slow. Not another thing to busy up your life. And so you notice when we do announcements lately, there's not a lot going on. We don't have a lot of planned activities. Why? Because we're a slow church, so we can have good soil. So we can love each other naturally. So we can taste something other than salt. So that we can grow without needing to be propped up with fertilizer. And so we can invite other misfits, strains of grasses, as weird as they are, to come in here and taste and see the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this moment to slow down to just take a break from life, from the hurry, from the fastness. Where we get to focus simply and only upon you. And so, God, as we close with this song tonight, I just pray that you would work on our hearts, that you would show us your love, that you would show us how to love with compassion and gentleness and kindness and goodness and patience and how slow all of that moves. And so, God, we're going to stand and we're going to praise you with all that we have tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand?